0: Thank you for downloading this podcast from BJOG. My name is Patrick Chen, and I'm bringing you a podcast for the January 2019 issue of BGOG. BGOG has historically published more manuscripts relating to obstetrics than to gynecology. Increasingly, more gynecological studies are being reported. Given the equal importance of both sections of the speciality, I believe this is a healthy development and will help to maintain the interest of our readership. This month, I'd like to highlight two articles relating to gynecological surgery. The first by Beeklin and colleagues reports the results of a randomized control trial comparing v which stands for transvaginal, natural orifice transluminal endoscopic surgery for hysterectomy with total laparoscopic hysterectomy or TLH for short, for benign gynecological conditions. The investigators evaluated the laparotomy conversion rate and the duration of post-operative stay in hospital. Surgical trials are notoriously difficult to perform without the risk of bias in the results. In this trial, all the surgical procedures in both groups were performed by a single surgeon, which limits the generalizability of the results. However, Recruitment of several different surgeons in order to improve the external validity of a study would be difficult given the need to find individuals who are equally skilled and familiar with both V-nodes and TLH. Blinding is another source of bias affecting surgical trials. It is impossible to mask the surgeon. To mask the patient and the assessors, Biclin used sham abdominal incisions for patients allocated to the v group. Nevertheless, there remains uncertainty about the effectiveness of this method. This trial was designed as a non-inferiority study using laparotomy conversion rate as a primary outcome measure. The planned sample size was calculated with an assumption of a 5% laparotomy conversion rate in a TLH group and 15% in the v arm. The assumed conversion rate in the V notes arm was derived by asking 10 women to choose what conversion rate they would accept from five cutoff values. 5%, 10%, 15%, 20%, or 25%. Most women chose 15%, and this was the cutoff that was employed for this study, although it could be argued that it is too large a difference for a non-inferiority study. Not surprisingly, there was not a single laparotomy conversion in any of the women allocated to either study group. It is therefore possible that a difference in this outcome may be observed if a more conservative margin was employed for non-inferiority, which would require a larger sample size. The second article by Phillips and colleagues relates to the predictive ability of different classifications of the extent of surgery for the management of advanced ovarian cancer. There are two broad types of classification systems being used, one based on a type of surgical procedures and the other on a number of surgical procedures. As an example, NICE guidance recommends the use of a classification employing the former system and considers standard surgery to encompass total abdominal hysterectomy, bilateral salpingo-oophorectomy, omentectomy, pelvic and or paraaortic lymphadenectomy. Bowel surgery is also included in the standard category as long as it is restricted to localised non-multiple bowel resection. The alternative category is ultra-radical, which includes diaphragmatic peritoneal stripping, extensive peritoneal stripping, multiple bowel resections, liver resection, partial gastrectomy, cholecystectomy, and splenectomy. Phillips retrospectively applied the NICE classification and five others to over 600 patients who had undergone surgery with the aim of comparing the ability of each to predict postoperative morbidity. They found that classifications based on a type of procedures were less likely to be predictive of major morbidity than those based on a number of procedures. The authors concluded that what is termed radical surgery should not be based on what structures were removed, but instead on a number of organs resected. And finally, Phil Stier, a previous esteemed editor-in-chief of BGOG, writes about Sir Stanley Clayton, who was the ninth editor-in-chief. Previously, it was not uncommon for the president of the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists to also hold this position. This is no longer the case to maintain the editorial independence of the journal from the college. This is an important principle that ensures that the journal is as independent as possible in the reporting of the best quality research in women's health globally. Thank you very much for your attention for listening to this podcast from BJOG. We have been reporting the best research in women's health since 1902. We are keen to hear your views. Tweet us at bjogtweets. Tweets. You can find more podcasts at www.bjog.org.